Section 8 of Expository Thoughts on the Gospel of St. Luke, Volume 2, by J. C. Ryle. Chapter 11, verses 45 to 54. The Lawyers Exposed and Rebuked. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read by Marianne. Luke, Chapter 11, verses 45 to 54. Then answered one of the lawyers, and said unto him, Master, thus saying thou reproachest us also. And he said, Woe unto you also, ye lawyers, for ye laid men with burdens grievous to be borne, and ye yourselves touched not the burdens with one of your fingers. Woe unto you, for ye build the sepulchres of the prophets, and your fathers killed them. Truly ye bear witness that ye allowed the deeds of your fathers, for they indeed killed them, and ye build their sepulchres. Therefore also said the wisdom of God, I will send them prophets and apostles, and some of them they shall slay and persecute, that the blood of all the prophets, which was shed from the foundation of the world, may be required of this generation. From the blood of Abel unto the blood of Zacharias, which perished between the altar and the temple, verily I say unto you, it shall be required of this generation. Woe unto you, lawyers, for ye have taken away the key of knowledge. Ye enter not in yourselves, and them that were entering in ye hindered. And as he said these things unto them, the scribes and the Pharisees began to urge him vehemently, and to provoke him to speak of many things, laying wait for him, and seeking to catch something out of his mouth, that they might accuse him. The passage before us is an example of our Lord Jesus Christ's faithful dealing with the souls of men. We see him without fear or favor rebuking the sins of the Jewish expounders of God's law. That false charity which calls it unkind to say that anyone is in error finds no encouragement in the language used by our Lord. He calls things by their right names. He knew that acute diseases need severe remedies. He would have us know that the truest friend to our souls is not the man who is always speaking smooth things and agreeing with everything we say, but the man who tells us the most truth. We learn, firstly, from our Lord's words, how great is the sin of professing to teach others what we do not practice ourselves. He said to the lawyers, Ye laid men with burdens grievous to be borne, while ye yourselves touch not the burdens with one of your fingers. They required others to observe wearisome ceremonies in religion which they themselves neglected. They had the impudence to lay yokes upon the consciences of other men, and yet to grant exemptions from these yokes for themselves. In a word, they had one set of measures and weights for their hearers, and another set for their own souls. The stern reproof which our Lord here administers should come home with special power to certain classes in the church. It is a word in season to all teachers of young people. It is a word to all masters of families and heads of households. It is a word to all fathers and mothers. Above all, it is a word to all clergymen and ministers of religion. Let all such mark well our Lord's language in this passage. Let them beware of telling others to aim at a standard which they do not aim at themselves. Such conduct, to say the least, 
is gross inconsistency. Perfection, no doubt, is unattainable in this world. If nobody is to lay down rules, or teach, or preach, until he is faultless himself, the whole fabric of society would be thrown into confusion. But we have a right to expect some agreement between a man's words and a man's work, between his teaching and his doing, between his preaching and his practice. One thing at all events is very certain. No lessons produce such effects on men as those which the teacher illustrates by his own daily life. Happy is he who can say with Paul, those things which ye have heard and seen in me do philippians chapter 4 verse 9 we learn secondly from our lord's words how much more easy it is to admire dead saints than living ones he says to the lawyers ye build the sepulchres of the prophets and your fathers killed them they professed to honor the memory of the prophets while they lived in the very same ways which the prophets had condemned they openly neglected their advice and teaching, and yet they pretended to respect their graves. The practice which is here exposed has never been without followers in spirit, if not in the letter. Thousands of wicked men in every age of the church have tried to deceive themselves and others by loud professions of admiration for the saints of God after their decease. By so doing they have endeavored to ease their own consciences and blind the eyes of the world. They have sought to raise in the minds of others the thought, if these men love the memories of the good so dearly, they must surely be of one heart with them. They have forgotten that even a child can see that dead men tell no tales, and that to admire men when they can neither reprove us by their lips, nor put us to shame by their lives, is a very cheap admiration indeed. Would we know what a man's religious character really is? Let us inquire what he thinks of true Christians while they are yet alive. Does he love them, and cleave to them, and delight in them, as the excellent of the earth? Or does he avoid them, and dislike them, and regard them as fanatics, and enthusiasts, and extreme, and righteous overmuch? The answers to these questions are a pretty safe test of a man's true character. When a man can see no beauty in living saints, but much in dead ones, his soul is in a very rotten state. The Lord Jesus has pronounced his condemnation. He is a hypocrite in the sight of God. We learn, thirdly from our Lord's words, how surely a reckoning day for persecution will come upon the persecutors. He says that the blood of all the prophets shall be required. There is something peculiarly solemn in this statement. The number of those who have been put to death for the faith of Christ in every age of the world is exceedingly great. Thousands of men and women have laid down their lives rather than deny their Saviour, and have shed their blood for the truth. At the time they died they seemed to have no helper. Like Zechariah, and James, and Stephen, and John the Baptist, and Ignatius, and Huss, and Hooper, and Latimer, they died without resistance. They were soon buried and forgotten on earth, and their enemies seemed to triumph utterly. But their deaths were not forgotten in heaven. Their blood was had in remembrance before God. The persecutions of Herod, and Nero, and Diocletian, and Bloody Mary, and Charles the Ninth are not forgotten. 
there shall be a great assize one day, and then all the world shall see that precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. Psalm 116, verse 15. Let us often look forward to the judgment day. There are many things going on in the world which are trying to our faith. The frequent triumphing of the wicked is perplexing. The frequent depression of the godly is a problem that appears hard to solve. But it shall all be made clear one day. The great white throne and the books of God shall put all things in their right places. The tangled maze of God's providence shall be unraveled. All shall be proved to a wondering world to have been well done. Every tear that the wicked have caused the godly to shed shall be reckoned for. Every drop of righteous blood that has been spilled shall at length be required. We learn, lastly, from our Lord's words, how great is the wickedness of keeping back others from religious knowledge. He says to the lawyers, Ye have taken away the key of knowledge. Ye entered not in yourselves, and those that were entering in ye hindered. The sin here denounced is awfully common. The guilt of it lies at far more doors than at first sight many are aware. It is the sin of the Romish priest who forbids the poor man to read his Bible. It is the sin of the unconverted Protestant minister who warns his people against extreme views and sneers at the idea of conversion. It is the sin of the ungodly, thoughtless husband who dislikes his wife becoming serious. It is the sin of the worldly-minded mother who cannot bear the idea of her daughter thinking of spiritual things and giving up theaters and balls. All these, wittingly or unwittingly, are bringing down on themselves our Lord's emphatic woe. They are hindering others from entering heaven. Let us pray that this awful sin may never be ours. Whatever we are ourselves in religion, let us dread discouraging others if they have the least serious concern about their souls. Let us never check any of those around us in their religion, and especially in the matter of reading the Bible, hearing the gospel, and private prayer. Let us rather cheer them, encourage them, help them, and thank God if they are better than ourselves. Deliver me from blood guiltiness was a prayer of David's, Psalm 51, verse 14. It may be feared that the blood of relatives will be heavy on the heads of some at the last day. They saw them about to enter the kingdom of God, and they hindered them. Notes Luke chapter 11, verses 45 to 54 Verse 45 One of the lawyers The lawyers, be it remembered, were a class of men among the Jews who devoted themselves to the study of the law of God. We generally find them in league with the scribes and Pharisees in the gospel history. Verse 46 Woe unto you also, ye lawyers! These words are a striking instance of our Lord's boldness in rebuking sinners. He is appealed to in an angry tone, and he tells those who appeal to him their sins and wickedness to their face. Ye laid men with burdens. These burdens mean the many vexatious and trifling rules laid down by the Jewish expounders of the law as requiring men's attention if they would be saved. Chimnitius remarks the close resemblance between these Jewish teachers and the Roman Catholic priests, 
who hedged up the way to heaven with a long list of things to be observed penances pilgrimages fastings flagellations contritions attritions confessions and the like verse forty seven ye build the sepulchres of the prophets let it be remembered that in every age of the church true christians have been more admired and praised when they were dead than when they were alive chimnidius observes that the conduct of these lawyers related in this verse is that of the roman catholic church no people can be more zealous than the romish priests in honouring the tombs and relics of saints and martyrs and building costly churches in honour of them and yet the doctrines of these saints are not believed and their lives are not imitated verse forty eight ye bear witness that ye allow the deeds of your fathers the meaning of these words can only be that the lives of the jewish teachers were clear evidence that they agreed with those who murdered the prophets more than with the prophets a man's life is the best proof of a man's opinions it is absurd and hypocritical to pretend admiration of dead saints if we do not at the same time endeavour to walk in their steps poole remarks it is gross hypocrisy for men to magnify the servants of god in former ages and in the meantime to malign and persecute the servants of the same god in the present age owning the same truth and living by the same rule verse forty nine said the wisdom of god it is a disputed question what these words mean alford thinks that they simply refer to the description of the death of zechariah in the book of chronicles second chronicles chapter twenty four verses eighteen to twenty two and that our lord gives a paraphrase and a summary of the lessons contained in that passage the more common opinion is that our lord speaks of himself under the name of wisdom and that comparing the passage with matthew chapter twenty three verse thirty four it means i the eternal wisdom of god have said verse fifty of this generation both here and in the following verse it seems probable that the word generation means nation or people as in matthew chapter twenty four verse thirty four it is a certain fact that the greater part of the men who were alive when our lord said these things must have been dead forty years after when the great inquisition for blood took place at the destruction of jerusalem verse fifty one zacharias there can be little doubt that this zacharias was the son of Jehoiada, who was murdered in the days of Joash, Second Chronicles chapter twenty four verse twenty. Lightfoot gives some remarkable quotations from rabbinical writers, proving how very great a crime this murder was regarded by the Jews themselves. The temple. Let it be noted that the Greek word so translated is commonly rendered the house. It shall be required this is one of those fearful passages of scripture which teach us that sins are not forgotten by god because not punished at the time of commission there are evidently many sins recorded in the book of god's remembrance which will all be brought to light and reckoned for one day verse fifty two ye have taken away the key of knowledge it is a doubtful question whether these words should not have been rendered ye have borne or taken up and carried the key of knowledge let the expression be compared with john chapter one verse twenty nine and the marginal reading in that place and with such phrases as that translated 
take up his cross in luke chapter 11 verse 23 the meaning would then be ye have been by profession the instructors of the jews in spiritual knowledge ye have so to speak carried the keys yet ye made no use of them yourselves and allowed nobody else to use them according to watson the jewish teachers of the law had a key formally given to them when they were ordained or set apart for the office of teaching baxter remarks on this verse this is just the description of a wicked clergy it certainly describes the church of rome verse fifty three to provoke him to speak of many things the greek verb in this expression is remarkable and is only found here in the new testament parkhurst says that it means to draw or force words from the mouth of another to question magisterially as a master does his scholars hammond says on this text they did ask questions to hear what christ would say as an angry schoolmaster that seeks occasion against a scholar hesychius says it is to require another to recite from memory the meaning is obvious our lord's enemies knew that in the multitude of words there wanteth no sin and they hoped to find occasion against him verse fifty four to catch the original idea of the greek word so translated is to hunt or to lay hold of and catch in hunting we should remember the words of st james he that offendeth not in word the same is a perfect man the perfect meekness of our lord is strikingly shown in his never losing his temper under abounding provocations and his perfect wisdom in never saying a word on which his deadliest enemies could justly lay hold End of section 8